Beneath the blue dome of sky, I come to be the creation. Wrapped in the embrace of the great spirit, I am. I turn to the east, where each morning the sun rises bright with hope and promise. And I give thanks for all beginnings. I turn to the south, where each noon the sun is raised in brilliant glory. And I give thanks for all the things that are fulfilled. I turn to the west, where each evening the sun slips into darkness. And I give thanks for endings. I turn to the north, where each night the bright stars rest in the heavens. And I give thanks for the nurturing arms of healing sleep. To the earth I turn, provider of sweet fruit and blessed water. And for my life, filled with the fruit of love, I give thanks. Here, in this sacred space, I am at one with creation. Good morning everyone and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church and to this, our worshipping community of Kensington Unitarians. Each Sunday, people gather here, putting aside time from their everyday lives, allowing ourselves time to pause, just for a while, time to reflect perhaps on that which is of true importance to us. And so may something in this time we spend together this morning touch a particular interest or concern of yours. May it speak to you personally and help you to step forward in your life perhaps. Our chalice flame is lit, reminding us that we are part of a liberal religious community the world over, a Unitarian community that encourages people to be ourselves a community that accepts us for who we are. I welcome you all. I'm going to read you a piece from Chellis Glendinning's book entitled Off the Map, um, an expedition deep into imperialism, the global economy and other earthly whereabouts. Her book offers us an unusual blend of memoir, cultural criticism and earth advocacy. And the following is an excerpt on the spiritual practice of justice. As the child of violence, 
I am humbled before the miracle that allows for healing and track the intricate map leading in its direction. There is no single moment when I arrive at the destination. Rather, I creep upon it from a myriad of trails and approaches. My awareness drops from the dizziness of dissociation back to the earth and into the bones and blood of this life. I find myself in the here and now, making choices about my place in the world, contemplating events and people in the context of life and death, values and meaning. I am filled with awe for the beauty of every creature. There is appreciation for difference, strength to meet adversity, joy in simply being. My dreams no longer shriek tales of rabid fathers and forcible entrapment. They take me now on journeys to the stars, to woodlands and weddings. This is not to say that life doesn't dish up its hardship and, it, and its injustice. History does not dissolve. It is only to say that I have all the resources I was meant to have. I have become fully human. And now, as an adult in this empire world, I am humbled again. A most crucial mindfulness is required of me. The maps I have learned are dangerously incomplete. The histories I have studied absurdly one-sided. In my schooling, I have been taught that imperialism is natural, that a world made of expanding splotches of pink and mustard yellow is progress, that the technologies required to further such development express evolution's highest offering, that people living sustainably are laughably anachronistic. More recently, via corporate science and advertising, I have been told that the human organism is nothing more than a shave of DNA, that my yearning for community can be answered by a laptop computer, that eating a burger at the airport is culture, that corporate domination is free trade and democracy. My entire education has been shaped by the defended and banal projections of conquest. The task now is to expand beyond the identity and experience of the empire world. It is to learn the stories so long squelched and denied of native peoples, the vanquished, Losers in war, survivors of conquest, the other side of the story. The task is to realise the, the culture and community that have been erased. 
knowledge of animals and seasons, music of the land, extended family, cooperation, celebration. The task is to remember. My people, our history, the good and the horrendous, nothing left out. Colonizer and colonized, indelibly intermingled, indelibly embraced. And that leads us into a time of prayer and reflection, which is based upon um, a sentence written by the writer Ian Sinclair, who I highly recommend to you, um, particularly for his writing about London. Ian Sinclair writes, If people are telling you a story about themselves, they gradually map their own local territories and know themselves better. So let's take that into our time of reflection and prayer now. May this time be blessed and inspired by the spirit of life and love. The spirit of life and love that holds us all in the embrace of existence. Let us be aware of all the people in this room together now. Aware of the worshipping community of which we are part. Strengthened by this time of togetherness, enabled then perhaps to go deeper in our thoughts and prayers here together now. We hope here to create a place to share the stories of our lives. Let's think in gratitude of all those who have listened to us over the years, both here and elsewhere. And we too listen to the stories of others. May we know how to be better listeners. Less sure sometimes perhaps of what we are hearing and of what we know to be true. More curious and gentle explorers of other people's views, their hopes and fears. And how shall we listen to the stories of our world community this day? How can we expand our thinking beyond right and wrong, beyond the good and the bad, to a deeper understanding that knows the place where we are all one, all brothers and sisters, all expressions of one light, one love, one humanity that has such diversity and yet an essential oneness. In a few moments of stillness now, let us direct the thoughts and prayers of our hearts to those we hold in love and care. May our love and our care make a difference this day and all days. Amen.
that hymn speaks of our need to share more fairly in our world and we're going to practice that indeed in this service now because I didn't print enough of my wonderful treasure maps of our lives so if you could possibly arrange this so maybe it'll be one between two mostly I think so that everybody gets a chance to have a look at this that would be marvellous oh we've got a spare over there if anybody can't see one wave your hand if you haven't got a view of one Thank you, everybody. I have never, um, I've never read John Bunyan's famous work, The Pilgrim's Progress, From This World to That Which Is to Come. But I shall be ever grateful to him for the imagery that he created for that allegorical journey. Has anybody read it? Oh, there to be a oh, you're an intelligent lot, aren't you? The main character... Um, has to overcome, for example, the hill of difficulty. I have known one or two of those in my existence so far. And the slough of despond, that is my favourite. I've known that too. The slough of despond. Bunyan, like many other writers, uses features of a landscape to describe our human, emotional and spiritual states. Writer and dancer Gabrielle Roth who had originally trained as a professional dancer, eventually realised that her work as a dancer was harming her physically. And she went on to uh, create a system of ecstatic dance, the five rhythms, which encourages us all to move freely and with energy. In her writings, Gabrielle Roth describes our bodies as maps of our lives, maps that can be studied and read. Maps that can tell us more about ourselves if we are prepared to look and listen with love and compassion. She writes, your body is the ground metaphor of your life, the expression of your existence. It is your Bible, your encyclopedia, your life story. Everything that happens to you is stored and reflected in your body. Your body knows and your body tells. The relationship of your body to yourself is indivisible, inescapable, unavoidable. In the marriage of flesh and spirit, divorce is impossible. But that doesn't mean that the marriage is necessarily happy or successful. So the body, she writes, is where the dancing path to wholeness must begin. Because only when we truly inhabit our body can we begin the healing journey. So many of us are not at home in our bodies, not really at home, not vibrantly present here. Nor are we in touch with the basic rhythms that constitute our bodily life. We live outside ourselves, in our heads, perhaps, in our memories, perhaps, in our longings absentee landlords in our own estate. It's not a great description. Words from Gabrielle Roth. When I worked as a teacher of children who had problems in schools, one of the ways that always worked as a method to get them to calm down and talk to me was to ask them if they had any scars from accidents or if they had ever broken a bone. Almost every child had a story to tell a scar to show, a recent wounded knee or elbow that had yet to heal. So I wonder what stories your body would tell of your life, because our bodies are us. They are the territory within which our lives are lived. 
And if we can consider our bodies with compassion and love, rather than fear or shame or disapproval, there is indeed, I think, much to discover. And so as we listen to some music for meditation now, you might want to consider your body as the map of your life. I am strangely fond of old maps. You know, the kinds that were drawn long before satellite images or proper surveying equipment. Maps with strange sea creatures drawn in the seas and those evocative Latin Latin words, terra incognita, (laughs) unknown lands, beckoning an explorer forwards to adventures or warning the more wary traveller to keep away, depending on your point of view. Maps in times gone by were partly at least works of fiction. They combined hopes and myths with bits of knowledge. There's a lovely example of such a map from Southeast Asia on the front of today's order of service. It combines landscape features like rivers and mountains with mythic places where aspects of the Buddha's life were said to have taken place. Such maps were defined more by beliefs than by geography, and such maps can be read. And when they're read, they tell us what's important to the people who commissioned and who drew them. Many medieval maps from the Western world have the city of Jerusalem in a, in a central position because people's faith was oriented towards the so-called Holy Land, the celestial city. In Islamic culture, maps showed the holy city of Mecca at the centre In modern life, with the reverence we oftentimes give to our individual existences, well, we're likely, aren't we, to place ourselves at the centre of the maps of our own lives. It amused me to find this Mullah Nasruddin story the other day. Nasruddin had apparently been reading, um, it's a well-known fact this, that most accidents occur within two miles of your own home. And so in order to reduce his risk, he moved house to a place three miles down the road. (laughs) But uh, we can't do it, can we, though? We can't escape from ourselves. We are the centres of our own universe, and we we view the world from our own perspectives. Perhaps the best we can hope for is to become more aware of our own bias and learn not to assume that our own perspective is the only way to consider the world. Learn not to assume that our own perspective is the best way to consider the world, or even the correct way to view it. That tendency towards bias is what Chellis Glendening was expressing in that reading we heard earlier on. It's a complex reading, a complex book, but worthy of study. Uh, her idea that our views of the world are shaped by matters of power, both economic and political. A simple illustration of that can be seen on most maps that, that show the position north pointing upwards. It's a convention on maps. It stems from the economic and political dominance once held by countries of northern Europe. On a spinning globe, there is no up or down. The directions that you called in, Janine, at the start of our service today, those directions move in relation to where we ourselves are on the planet. If you're interested in exploring different forms of representation, you might enjoy reading Bruce Chatwin's book, Songlines, which was my first introduction to the Aboriginal Australian view of territory. Fascinating, really, where, where human life 
history, landscape, mythology, images and songs are all combined in one network of knowledge shared by all and mapped upon the actual physical um, landscape features. It's a powerful reminder that there are many ways to view our precious world and our lives lived upon it. There has to be bias when we choose to include or exclude something when making a map. Because a map is a physical representation of landscape, but it can't include everything. Because, of course, if we did include everything, then the map would be as big as the territory. We would be covered by the map. Writer and mathematician Lewis Carroll delighted in exploring such ideas. He wrote of a country's leader who had tried out different scales of map. And then, then came the grandest idea of all. We actually made a map of the country on the scale of a mile to a mile. (laughs) Have you used it much? I inquired. Uh, It's never been spread out yet, he replied. The farmers objected. They said it would cover the whole country and shut out the sunlight. So now we use the country itself as its own map. And I assure you it does nearly as well. (laughs) Delightfully ridiculous. And so... We all survey and select in our map making. We decide what to represent and what to leave out. I don't know how to describe to you the childish, I'm sorry, childlike pleasure that uh, drawing something like this gives me. I'm grateful to the teacher whoever first got me to draw a map, a treasure map. And um, I was amused by the features I wanted to put on this. They're actually the ones I think I can draw half decently. I'm particularly fond of my little marsh feature. That could be my slough of despond. And the mountains. I wonder if, A, you've ever drawn something like this, and then if you've ever taken it a bit further and considered it as a guide for your own life. We haven't got time this morning to take this much further, but you just... It's a great thing to do from time to time to ask questions like, well, what mountains of difficulty have you had to climb in life? Or did you find a way around some of them? What actually helps guide your path in life? Or what do you do when you feel lost? What seas have you enjoyed sailing? And what inner journey might you like to take sometime? Are there safe harbours for you in life? And how might you know when it's time for your ship to sail on? Have you known some stuck places that later proved to have been fruitful? What maps or guidebooks or other sources of information are useful for you and your journey of life? So you can play with my map, but there's space on the back for you to go home and draw one of your own if you so desire. But to close... I suppose there's always a question with something like a map. There's the flip side of all of this. It's, it's an issue I know well with my A to Z of London, how very well I can think I am somewhere when I am somewhere else. And I suppose with all of our guides in life, there is that question to consider. Am I holding this the right way? Am I looking at it in the right direction? Am I in any way fooling myself? Where am I getting my information from and how can I sift it, assess it, to know it's actually giving me that right direction? Is it then perhaps something as honest as our own body, as the feeling of love or fear that we need to guide us along our way? Amen. Travelling alone and together, let us in the week ahead 
Be brave enough to take a step in a new direction. Kind enough to help another along their way. And inspired enough to consider our lives anew with a fresh perspective. A perspective illuminated by our faith and by our love. Amen. Go well and blessed be.